The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Welcome to the Viking Age podcast. We do this every Monday and Thursday night at 6.15 right here on our YouTube channel. Make sure you subscribe, like, do all those cool YouTube things so you help grow the channel. And if you miss us, don't worry, we got you covered. We are on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite shows so you can listen to us in podcast form. I am your host, Chris Shad. And regular co-host Adam Patrick is not here tonight because like the great Ron Burgundy, he is off with his children flipping off the animals at the San Diego Zoo. But don't worry about it. As you can tell, I have a great guest lined up for you. Joining us here on the Viking Age podcast, he is the lead writer for Gophers Guru. He's the founder of Vikings Corner. His name is Daniel House. Daniel, what's going on, man? It's football season. Technically, it's it's spring ball. It's the draft. Uh, this is one of my favorite times of the year. So I'm just excited to, to talk a little Vikings offseason, the Gophers in the draft, just everything going on. It, it's, it's always a great time of year. I'm excited as well because you have all those things that you mentioned. Of course, <laughs> me and Adam being wrestling nerds. WrestleMania was a couple weeks ago. You have baseball starting up. You have, you know, the draft. Uh, some people are into horse racing. I mean, some people will bet on anything like myself. <laughs> it, it, it's a super fun time of the year, but we're also in that time where we could kind of look back and take a look at this Viking offseason. And really the first yeah. thing I kind of wanted to ask you starting this show is how you felt about it. Because me and Adam have talked about this a little bit how the Minnesota Vikings went in this offseason and a lot of people expected changes, but a lot of those changes haven't happened. And I think what's happened is coming into the draft, a lot of the people don't have the same enthusiasm that they would normally have this time of year. So what do you think of the offseason and kind of the Viking strategy heading into the draft? Here's what I would say. I feel like everyone had the expectation that the Vikings would make substantial changes just because Kowasi is labeled as this numbers guy. But in reality, he's coming in here and he's looking at what he has currently on the roster, the contractual agreements going out into the future, projecting out the depth chart and thinking about, okay, how do I set this thing up? So, you know, in 2023, 2024, 2025, I not only have cap flexibility, but draft assets available. Now, I look at how the Vikings approach the offseason and I see a lot of guys that are familiar with the system. They wanted to bring in people who would ease the transition, specifically on the defensive side of the ball, going from a 4-3 to a 3-4. And I believe that's kind of overblown as well because Minnesota is going to be really multiple defensively where you'll see a lot of different fronts. They'll mix it up. They'll, they'll blitz a little bit. They'll send some sim pressures. They'll play, you know, they'll play coverage with the sim pressures. You know, that, that's the beauty of the – that those type of looks is the fact that you can drop a defensive end and bring a non-traditional rusher like a linebacker, safety, a corner, 
you know, you're still playing coverage, but you know, generating pressure while st- only rushing four. So that's something that I think we'll see a lot of players lining up in different spots. Uh, versatility has been a big part of what the Vikings have done with their offseason so far. Channon Sullivan, not sure the role he'll play. He could be a bit a depth type of signing if the Vikings don't get something better in the draft. Same thing with Nate Harrison, a, pr- a player that I really liked uh, during the Broncos-Vikings joint practices, a physical nickel corner who blitzes really well. And then I see with the offensive line, I know people are going, well, bringing in all these, you know, veteran signings on the offensive line again. However, again, familiarity. Austin Schlotman played for Justin Riscotti, assistant offensive line coach in, in Denver. You got Jesse Davis, who played for Chris Cooper, the new offensive line coach. And then bringing in Chris Reed, who I thought was the best signing of them all along the offensive line. He's probably the favorite to win right guard. So with the Vikings free agency moves, you know, bringing in Zadarius Smith, who I, I believe is an awesome system fit. You can align him in different spots, which is a big part of the system. They want to get, you know, if a guard doesn't handle speed as well, they'll bring in a, you know, edge rusher, kick him inside. You know, they'll mug uh, him in the A gap. They'll line him in all sorts of different, different places. This will be a very multiple and versatile defense. So getting someone like him and Harrison Phillips, who's really a disruptive player impacts on a play to play basis. And that's one of the traits that, Clearly, Minnesota has valued is disruptive. And that's something that Kevin O'Connell even mentioned during a press conference saying he looks for guys who impact on a play-to-play basis. So that could inform some of the draft decisions they make, which I believe that this offseason and Kowasi's start to his tenure will be defined by how they draft. Because if this team wants to take the next step forward, the problem has been depth. They they just don't have the ability to withstand a couple of injuries be able to rotate players and, and have guys that fit the scheme way down the depth chart. So that's why I like bringing in guys that, you know, maybe are veterans that are on low risk, high reward type of deals, because then if you bring someone in through the draft, you're able to move those guys down the depth chart and you suddenly have depth. So people need to be patient. Like Kowasi draft, his specialty, I would say probably is going to be those late round picks because of the, the data, the info side of it. He was a big part of that in San Francisco. So the draft, personally, I'm very excited about it because I think it, we'll get a chance to see how Kowasi approaches this thing. There are a couple different avenues I think he could take. So I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, and I think the frustration, kind of from my standpoint, but I think a lot of Vikings fans as well, yeah. is this feels very similar. You know, they didn't get rid of a lot of guys. You know, Kirk Cousins is back on that extension. Uh, mm-hmm. Adam Thielen got a pay raise when everybody expected him to take a pay cut. Harrison Smith, all those guys are back this year. And Quasey with those signings, I, I think he has done some things different from Rick Spielman. But you mentioned like the late round picks and like all those things. I kind of agree with you, you know, kind of thinking about it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. This is going to be the spot where Quasey differentiates differentiates himself because we saw what happened in San Francisco where they loaded up on the defensive line. We saw what happened in uh, Cleveland where they kind of did the same thing, built this defense, didn't really do too much with the offense. Now the offense is in place and Quasey has been in two spots where they built a, built a very successful defense. So I, I don't really know. I, I mean, it, th- this is just one big mystery. And yeah, I, I think you're right that some fans like myself, need to have a little bit more patience. <laughs> yeah, it, it's this is this is a marathon, you know, not a sprint. If people want immediate 
change. This this takes time. And I I don't think you can truly look at the offseason through the lens of free agency because it's just one component. And Kowasi's ability to draft, move around. One thing that that that's worth noting is this draft to me feels like there's a little bit more experience in it because of that extra year that players got. Maybe they stayed one extra year than they normally would have. So they got additional development. So that means that, you know, when I'm looking at this this draft class, I, I spend a lot of time in the mid to late rounds because that's my favorite thing to do, find those sleepers. I I love the the edge class this year. There's a lot of versatility deep into the draft, really good in that, you know, second, third, fourth round slot. Then you got the DBs in that fifth through seventh round range where you have versatile players who can be sub package type of uh, guys in your system, you know, hybrid safeties, linebackers, and then you have players who can play inside and out and very athletic cornerbacks in those later rounds that you maybe would be interested in. What I'm saying though, is maybe the approach is you're trying to get as many players. You're being very aggressive in the first four to four rounds of the draft and valuing those late round picks less because you know there's going to be a lot of volume, a lot of experienced guys that maybe hit the UDFA side of it where you go and maybe find some flyers there. So does he take the approach where he's really, really aggressive moving up, or does he stockpile a lot of picks in the the sixth to seventh round range? I don't think that will be as much of the case. Like Rick, that was definitely his philosophy. Maybe it's more of the – you know, Kowasi will go get his guys when he wants to. He he will GGYGs and find guys that, you know, fit the system. And, and if he covets the player, he'll go up and get them. That, that's what I want to see. What is the draft approach like? Because that's what shapes teams. You can make little signings like, like the Vikings have, but if you can't add instant impact and a blend of depth in there, then, then your roster is just going to be top heavy and, you're never going to be able to take that next step. So Kowasi's mark will be made through the draft. And that that's what I'm excited about. So if we're talking about the draft, well, actually, yep. I, before we get into that, I, I want to stop one more thing here. Because I feel like throughout this offseason, the Vikings have also kind of been like, hey, everything was Mike Zimmer's fault. You know, Kevin O'Connell is going to come in. He's going to wave his magic wand and everything is going to be fine. First day of team activities went down today. I think it's workouts. I don't know the exact term of it, but they were all at TCO Performance Center. They were all smiling. They were all happy. Kevin O'Connell was probably outside of the door waving at him like, you know, first day of school, you know, when you had your kindergartner teacher. Mine actually held me back. Uh, this is just kind of a nice story because I could read. It was super weird. I just, I don't know if it's, it's always kind of like boiled inside me, but I just want to get that out. But like... <laughs> I, it, it feels like everybody's just kind of expecting Kevin O'Connell to do a miracle worker with his team to like turn it into a Super Bowl contender. And, and I think the one thing he has going for him is his ability to adapt. Harrison Smith talked about that, where his culture is sticking to what you know, but mm -hmm. also kind of creating and moving things forward. What differences do you think this team is going to have under Kevin O'Connell? It's just the the innovation side of it where you're adapting the scheme to your personnel. And and that's not, a role, you know, keeping a system and going, okay, we're going to just jam a square peg into a round hole. We're going to find an offensive system that fits the personnel. And this year they might have to adapt that scheme a little bit more just because he's coming in here 
maybe not with the depth chart that he would necessarily have created from top to bottom. So, you know, for example, you got a fullback in this offense, maybe more feature with CJ Ham. How do they handle blending those personnel groupings in, which, you know, the Rams being a heavy 11 personnel team, I'm interested to see how they approach the draft. If do they do they go with a receiver really early and try to add another layer of speed when you're in those 11 personnel sets where you can have Thielen as the technician, you've got Justin Jefferson and obviously, you know, his incredible ability and then a speed player who can really take things vertical, winning the screen game, get you stuff underneath after the catch to take some pressure off those playmakers and make it really difficult for opposing defenses to scheme against you. But one of the things that I, I stood out to me is Kevin O'Connell talking about using the phrase, never fight a fair fight. And, I, and it really stood out to me as like, okay, you have to give yourself a schematic edge. You can't just have a system and go, this is how we play football. The What the opponent does, it, it really doesn't matter. Each week you have to have wrinkles. And what I what I think fans will notice is, Maybe there's a wrinkle they show in week one, a passing concept that they don't show for a few weeks. But then in week five, they go, we're going to add a tweak to this. When someone's watching the film, we're going to we're going to add the uh, tweak, the route and have the instead of a crossing route, the guy's going to peel off and run a corner route. And then you you've got a big play. So sequencing of plays over the course of weeks, uh, pre-snap motion to get matchups, give the quarterback an idea of what coverage he's getting, throwing the ball in space, throwing the ball on early downs, getting yourself ahead of the sticks, not getting yourself behind the sticks so the pass rush can tee off, using the screen game to slow down the pass rush. All of these things I I think you'll see with Kevin O'Connell's offense, and Wes Phillips will obviously be very involved in that process as well. So I, I, I tell you, Chris, I'm just excited to see what, training camp looks like what what do, it, it'll be like you're gonna have to sit down with like a roster of faces and yeah. it's brand new the schemes look totally different what will practice look like is there some mcveigh influence that you can already see uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to the draft training camp and then the lead up into the season we got a lot of time and a lot of things that we can see leading up to to kickoff so now that we're kind of uh, done talking about the offseason a little bit, which the draft is technically <laughs> the offseason, but a whole different dimension of it. Yep. Um, let's talk about the Vikings and their draft needs. You talked about it a little bit that Kwesi Adolfo Mensa could wind up trading down, getting some more late round picks and kind of finding those draft gems, kind of like Rick Spielman used to do. But I think a lot of fans are having a lot of trouble identifying what the Vikings' biggest need in the draft is. Obviously, you have cornerbacks, which you have Sauce Gardner, you have Derek Stingley Jr., Mm -hmm. uh, you have uh, edge rushers, where you have, you know, you already have Zadarius Smith and Daniel Hunter, but behind them, it's a little bit sketchy. You know, some people want them to still draft a guard. Tyler Linderbaum's out there. What do you think is the Vikings' biggest need in the draft coming in? Everyone will probably panic if the Vikings don't go cornerback with the first pick, but I won't be surprised if they go in a in a couple of different directions. If it's not cornerback, it could be edge rusher. Jermaine Johnson is a potential option because I, I believe he's an outstanding fit for the defensive scheme. And with the idea that 
Zadarius Smith, we all it sounds like his back is fine. He looked good in the playoff game, but you know, Daniel Hunter's got a history of injury. Like you, you almost have to think about getting an edge player that you feel fits the scheme and then pushes you forward into the future, someone that you know can develop up. And you watch Jermaine Johnson setting the edge, you know, playing with his feet and hands and sink. He generates so much power with his hands and gets his lower body activated. Like I was watching the senior bowl going, he generates so much torque when he's rushing the passer. Like it, it's so impressive to me how he can not only set up his rushes, but plays with that finesse that was required to be a really good edge rusher. And setting edges is something that will be very important in this defensive scheme. And Jermaine Johnson has shown the the ability to do that. And uh, I, I I believe he could end up being a guy that that goes in in the top fifteen of the draft just because of the the buzz that he's getting. And another option is George Karloftis from Purdue as well. Maybe not the the sexiest pick. You know, everybody would be like, "Oh, George Karloftis," but a, a disruptive player. That's the adjective you use watching him because I got to see him quite a bit covering the Big Ten, covering the Gophers. And you you see how he would be able to fit at the five tech position in the in the Vikings defensive scheme, but also have the versatility to play a couple of different alignments. I don't feel like he's completely refined as a player yet either, but he, he just he, he's so disruptive that it's it shows up immediately when you're watching the film. He's not quite as nuanced as a pass rusher with the moves, but he's got great power. And if you get him in the right system and, and coach him up a little bit. Uh, he could be a, a sound fit. So the edge rusher, then you you got the receiver option as well. Maybe it's Garrett Wilson, who reminds me a lot of a smaller Odell Beckham Jr. in terms of skill set. And then Jamison Williams, who is the speed, take the top off the defense. That's the wild card. You know, he's hurt, maybe not be ready for the season, but he would be an outstanding fit in this offense, being able to win vertically, have that speed component, be able to get him in space, put him underneath. You would have a really dynamic offense that stretches all levels of the field. That's the thing that Vikings fans are going to notice with this offensive scheme is every inch of ground is covered with the passing concepts. Kevin O'Connell is going to make you defend every inch of grass out there. And that's something that's super important. When you have dynamic playmakers, you can stretch the defense in different spots. We already know Justin Jefferson's elite route running ability to get someone with that speed component. I felt like the Vikings have been lacking that. And then you can't forget about Thielen, who's more of the technician type, which I said it a lot. Chris Olave reminds me a lot of Adam Thielen in terms of skill set and some of the things that can do. So I don't I don't think they'll go in the direction of Chris Olave, but I would not be shocked if if they said, hey, Jamison Williams might not be ready immediately, but when he is, he's going to make a significant impact and change the offensive scheme. So if they don't go cornerback, watch for edge or receiver or a trade back for one of those players, potentially, if they get a nice offer and feel like they can move back a few spots. I feel like the first 12 picks are going to dictate a lot what they do. Because I I think Stingley and Sauce are both going to be off the board by the time the Vikings pick at 12. I think Stingley elevated his stock with that insane pro day workout. I, I just don't see him being on the board at that point. And then you have Sauce, who everybody seems to love, just because of his confidence. Um, Trent McDuffie at 12 would be an interesting pick. But, I mean, what moves yeah. the needle more? I, I think Matthew Collar puts it best where he looks at these picks and you say, hey, what moves the needle more? I, I, I'll I, be on the record right now. I think Malik Willis is going 
number two to the Detroit Lions in this draft because yeah. why the hell not? Um, and then like from that point, it's like, I don't know, you're going to draft Kenny Pickett. You're going to draft Matt Corral. You're going to draft somebody with these question yeah. marks who really don't have a big trump card like Malik Willis does. Like, I think if they don't go corner, the answer is receiver unless like Kayvon Thibodeau falls to 12, which at that point I'm running to the podium. Um, Jamison Williams, that speed in this offense. Like, I heard this mentioned on Score North too, just name dropping podcasts left and right. But somebody had brought up 1998 where the Vikings had Chris Carter and they had Jake Reed. And then all of a sudden, Randy Moss falls to 22 and Denny Green goes, yeah, I'll take him, whatever. And they just blow the doors off of everybody. I think this offense has that kind of potential with a quarterback in Kirk who, yeah, we're hard on him sometimes, but he's still a very good quarterback. Justin Jefferson on one side, Adam Thielen on the other. You know, you have a secondary receiver in KJ Osborne and another deep threat in Amir Smith-Marset. You add Jamison Williams come November to this offense, they are going to score a lot of points. And I think that that would probably be the pick that I would be most excited about. Even if they go with Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, or whoever. I, I mean, uh, even if they wait till the second round, Sky Moore's out there, Christian Watson. There are some decent receivers I would love to see in Minnesota. Yeah, Jameson Williams, you wonder how different the pre-draft process would have looked in the hype for him had he not torn the ACL uh, in the college football playoff because he would have ran a 40 that was extremely impressive. Uh, You just watch all year SEC football, and I'm telling you, watching a guy that's a star receiver, punt gun, and chase down punt returners. I just love his competitive edge and how he plays the game. And with speed being the most important trait right now with passing game and being able to stress teams at all three levels, Jamison Williams is is the intriguing skill set. And I've clamored for a long time saying the Vikings needed another speed skill set at the receiver position. But you know, if they're able to bring him in and then you got, you know, Phelan and Jefferson and KJ and Ola B.C. Johnson, who people forget about coming back this season as well. I mean, you got some firepower and Irv Smith coming back and, you know, you this skill spot with, you know, just, uh, Dalvin Cook in the backfield. The skill spots are really good. And now I know people are saying, well, you got to you got to fix the secondary. Well, you know, there are options. Maybe like you said, you trade back a few spots if you feel like you can get. Williams and accumulate uh, the asset that you lost in the fourth round pick with Chris Herndon, possibly, you know, what are you able to get in a return by moving back a few spots? And then, you know, you're able to accumulate some picks in the sweet spot of 25 to 75 of this draft. That's where I think the talent is really good. I, I look at, for example, Kair Elam from Florida, who I think people kind of forget about. He had a down year last year, but performed a lot better in the previous years. And, you know, I, I think COVID-19 made player development a little more difficult for, for, for mm-hmm. players because you watch them and you go, okay, didn't get as much technical development. Did they possibly come out of 2020 with some rust and some technical deficiencies? I know uh, Kair Elam it didn't look like the same player at times last year, and I wonder how much of that is related to not getting that consistent on-field coaching. So could there be a situation where more teams are going, love the traits, 
I mean, the, the, the fluid movement skills of that guy, he's, he can come up and he can press, he can play man, he's scheme-diverse type of cornerback. Uh, I'm banking on the fact he's going to elevate with really good coaching. So maybe he's someone that you trade back for because I'm not I, – I just can't pick McDuffie at 12 with the idea that he's probably a nickel cornerback. And Stingley, I'm not in the medical meetings. I don't know what the health is. Obviously, if he's healthy, he's a, he's an outstanding talent. But I'm still concerned because you can't afford to swing and miss on that pick. So do you trade back Okair Elam and then figure it out from there? There are options. The Vikings could even go with Jordan Davis at 12 and say, all right, we're going with the most athletic DT. Uh just change the whole system. I've always said pocket push is the most important thing that I'm looking for when I'm building a defensive line because you want to limit escape lanes. You want to make it tough on the quarterback with passing lanes. And then your pass rush is able to retrace rushes and work and sink. So maybe that's an option. So like, like Chris, I don't feel like I have a concrete answer because I don't know the top 12 picks. I don't know, you know what, how the Vikings feel about some players on the roster. Is Cam Dantzler a legitimate option? How do they feel about him with the new coaching staff? If that's the case, how do they approach corner? Do they feel like they can wait? Like I said, there's a lot of talent in the mid to late rounds at the cornerback position too. So Vikings could go BPA. So I, I think fans better prepare themselves for the fact that they might not go corner at 12. So I came into this podcast kind of being like okay i'm not really sure what to think of this draft you know <laughs> and i was almost just a little bit like kind of unenthused about it because it, it just felt like okay they're just gonna draft for need but i mean the way you're talking this could be an unpredictable draft because this this draft doesn't have any star power there's no like oh my god this guy is you know i think back but, to but it's a, the chris it's a oh, really right. good it's a really really good draft in terms of like solid players that might not be elite exactly. blue chip yep. guys but they could get in your system and you develop them up and they're doing they're, they perform at a higher level so that's mm -hmm. the, the beauty of this draft how how does kowasi maneuver up and down the board and how does he handle those late round picks does he cover them does he move up to you know in the third fourth fifth round to get players that he really likes. That's what I'm I'm excited about. And I think one of the guys that I learned about last week talking with Tyler Fornes that I looked up, I saw him pretty well, was uh, Jalen Petrie out of Baylor. Uh, oh, yeah. He's a guy that's all over the formation. Uh, you know, <laughs> he likened his usage to the Honey Badger, which I think would be a great wrinkle. Um, I think they want to use Harrison Smith and kind of that attacking Troy Palomalu type mold. I mean, there are some guys later in this draft. Who are some of the guys that you're excited for that you would kind of pound the table for later in this draft process? In in the late, mid to late rounds at, at the defensive yeah. back spot? Yeah. I really like Damari Mathis from Pittsburgh. I know he's a later round pick. Someone who could go earlier than people anticipate. Tested extremely well. 971 RAS, 43 and a half inch vertical, 439 speed. But what I love about him is he reminds me a lot of Channon Sullivan with speed. So could he be that versatile player that can play the alley and dime packages and also have the flexibility to play multiple defensive back spots? His physicality jumps out. I mean, he does not let receivers get position. He attacks the football, hangs with receivers deep because of his speed. And like I said, the versatility, someone that I, I like as a potential sleeper, Jalen Armour Davis from Alabama, 
first year as a full-time starter last year, but just the flashes that you see. Again, another player that maybe was hurt by the COVID-19 pandemic in the development side of it. Going, okay, you saw the flashes, but it never really came together. But best high school triple jump of any player at the NFL scouting combine, 100-meter state champ, which is something that I, I look a lot at with defensive backs. Good size, good movement skills, just needs work with the technical aspect, the consistency of it. Uh, but if he if someone beats him deep, what I like about him is, is he can recover. He's got that speed to be able to do that. And I think he's being slept on massively. Now, at the safety spot, if the Vikings want to go with a player who, who could potentially be pretty versatile, Maryland safety Nick Cross, who probably could get picked a little higher than people anticipate. Maybe he creeps into the third round. Watched him a lot in the Big Ten, and when you were preparing for Maryland, I'm constantly writing Nick Cross's name down uh, and talking about him. Fluid mover with great range, and I honestly could see him having the ability to play nickel cornerback. Another 987 out of 10 Raz guy, 4-3-4-40, but the speed is, is what jumps out. And the versatility, and I think he's being slept on big time, really, really jumped out when I was going back through notes. And then the last one in the in the defensive backfield that I would say is Wanye Thomas, a safety from Georgia Tech. This defense will be looking for some hybrid, versatile safety linebacker type of skill sets. Really good tackler, good size, 78 and one-eighth inch wingspan. So he gets into passing lanes when you watch him play. Reminds me a lot of Deion Buchanan. Could provide some depth, play special teams, give you an edge there. Uh, just a few players that with mid to late round options the Vikings could potentially add. And if we want to talk D-line, I got I got my D-line sleeper from Missouri State, Eric Johnson, was at the Senior Bowl, ran a 4.84 to 4.86 range 40, but you look at the wingspan, the length, the first step, nasty spin move he showed at the, at the uh, Senior Bowl, 914 has 7333 count. I think he'd be a nice fit in the Viking scheme, maybe as a five technique with the versatility to also play a couple of different alignments. Analytics numbers could potentially, you know, steer someone like Kowasi toward a guy like your Johnson. So friendly reminder to everybody out there. First of all, thank you for watching. And you can actually get in on the show by commenting and giving us some of your comments. Uh, we got one commenter on today's show. It is Supreme Train. And he's saying he's trading back for a first round pick in 2023 and getting a guy like McDuffie at 20. I don't have the draft order in front of me, but I assume that's about where the Pittsburgh Steelers yes. are uh, yes. picking in this draft. If yes. they get that offer for the first round pick, you taking it? I I could see Kowasi taking that approach of, of if he's moving back a few picks, you know, going back that far. If he's able to get a first round pick or future assets, he could treat it a lot like George Payton has done with his drafting strategy is accumulate future assets to set yourself up for trades or draft capital that allows you to go get players during the draft. Uh, does Kowasi take that approach? We don't really know yet, but maybe I, I don't know if I'd trade back for McDuffie, but like Kair Elam, like I said, someone who I'm banking on can develop uh, under better coaching. And then maybe you're looking at someone like Andrew Booth from Clemson, who's got the really good physicality and a dude that absolutely attacks the football. He needs more development. I don't know if I'd take him 
in the first round. Maybe he's more of a second round guy for me. Somebody might take him in the first round, but there is a, for me, there's a drop off. It's like you've got Sauce and Stingley if he's healthy. Then it's Kyir Elam for me. And then, you know, there's a little bit of a gap to Booth. So that's how I approach the cornerback spot at this point. But future assets, I definitely could see Kowasi looking at, at those options if they present themselves, especially with the idea that the quarterback class is pretty strong next year if you're able to get an additional asset. We already saw the Eagles do that, accumulate the, you know, move their first round pick. They had two this year. Now they're going to have two next year. Probably felt like the quarterback class was a little better next year. And you'd never know who could become available as we saw the past two off seasons. I mean, Tom Brady (laughs) becomes available. Uh, Russell Wilson gets traded. Like there always could be solutions in case Kirk Cousins Quite honestly, as another season like he's had the last couple of seasons where he puts up the stats and then he gets to the big games. And you're going, come on, man. Come on. But <laughs> like I said, Chris Shad here along with Daniel House. Thanks for joining us. We just tweeted out the link on the Viking Age. So I'm kind of relieved knowing that we're actually streaming because Adam is gone. So that's uh, a lot of fun. And of course, I couldn't have Daniel House here without talking some gopher football. And I want to talk about some of the prospects in this draft that could wind up being Vikings. And that includes Boye Mafe, 10 sacks for Minnesota last season. He had a great senior bowl. A lot of people talking about him as a first round pick. He's got a relative athletic score of 9.91. By comparison, Daniil Hunter had a 9.89 relative athletic score. He was listed on Bruce Feldman's freaks list at the beginning of the season. Is he a first-round draft pick? And is he somebody that, if he doesn't go in the first round, the Vikings should consider being aggressive to go get? It depends on what they do with the first pick and how they approach the draft. But Boye definitely would fit the scheme very well just because of his versatility. Super athletic, we all know that. But what I was most impressed about Chris was the strides he made over the course of his career. I remember... Uh, press conference back when Boye Mafe arrived and I had just finished watching practice and I go, okay, Boye, th- this dude's going to be something someday. I asked PJ about him right away. He, he goes, this, this guy has all the traits, just needs time to develop up. And every year you, you saw him just continue to, to make strides and maximizing the athleticism. That's what Joe Rossi did, lining him in different spots early in his career to get him on the field, especially in pass rushing situations. But you saw the the pass rush diversity start to improve his technique, his you know, footwork and his hands coming together where he's really making it hard on, on defensive ta- uh, offensive tackles by setting up rushes over the course of the game. But you can do, you can drop him, you can align him inside, you can rush him off the edge. And the explosiveness and the speed are the the two special traits and the effort, too. The guy never quits on a play. And and that's one thing that when you're watching Minnesota, you see a perimeter play on the opposite side of the field. Chances are Boye Mafia is running it down and and making the play. I would say the last thing about Boye is one of my favorite personalities I've ever covered in the seven years I've been around Minnesota's program. Always took you inside the details of of the position, how he approached specific rushes. And you could tell he had done his homework and studying his opponent, understanding what's going to happen. And 
I, I just can't say enough about his upbringing as well. I did a story on a feature on him that's on gophersguru.com about him going to Nigeria to boarding school growing up and how his family really shaped who he is and the Yorba culture, how important it is in his life. Uh, that's the thing. He probably killed the interview process. I know he did because his personality is is electric like that. I kind of comp him. Me and a buddy were talking about this the other day and my buddy, we were going back and forth about comps like we always do. And I, he, he brought up, you know, like a, a faster version of, of Max Crosby, kind of a, a comp. And I'm like, oh, you know, maybe. But like you said, you know, I wouldn't say skill set wise he comps to Daniel Hunter. But when you look at this, the explosiveness profile and that side of it, very similar when you break down the testing metrics. And then Bradley Chubb being the overarching athletic player, maybe not the body type, but like when you put all the athletic pieces together, you can really kind of refine it down. Like that's what I'm guessing Kowasi's doing is kind of fitting all the pieces together. But that's my long winded answer on boy. I, I really like him as a player. I, I mean, you know, when I played college football revamped, which I've just been smashing uh, since the pandemic started, it was yeah. boy Amafe on one side and it was, I am so scared to say this name, but I'm going to give it a shot here. Assessi Atomawo. Is that wow, right? You did a really good job. You nailed it, man. Good job. Assessi Atomawo. Yes. Okay. Assessi Atomawo. Twice. Twice. Uh, yeah, three times. I, I am I am a pro pronunciator yeah. now, and I didn't even look it up. Uh, he was headed to be a draft prospect because, yeah. you know, when I'm on college football revamped, I'm chasing down uh, – I, I okay the the Clemson quarterback. I'm not going to try and pronounce his name. I apologize because it's like uh, you goggle Galilee. That's that's right or whatever. I'm, yeah. I'm getting myself in a deeper hole. <laughs> take take uh, the wins that you have here. Yes, yes. I'm getting a little cocky here, but he was <laughs> a Tobowal was yeah. going to be a draft prospect. He got hurt in the guarantee rate bowl. I, I mean, first of all, where do you stand on that prospect? Where you have players playing in these games that are essentially exhibitions and then costing their draft status. We saw this with Matt Corral uh, in his bowl in the sugar bowl where he hurt his ankle and he hasn't even worked out yet. Like where, where do you kind of stand on this whole thing? I still think as says he has a chance to be picked in the late rounds. Obviously we don't know the medical history, but he did take several top 30 visits. He had a private pro day workouts uh, since he couldn't do the traditional pro day with Minnesota due to the injury. But you know, watching Osezi over the years, he's not a speedy rusher by any means, but has that good lower body power and, and that side of it. Nice wingspan to extend and defeat blocks. Got a lot better over the course of his career. I thought he turned the corner in October as a player. I don't know what changed. The light switch came on, but five tech defensive end. So, I mean, hey, he might project as someone that the Vikings are interested in. I don't think he's going to test I didn't even before the injury I didn't think he would test super well in the speed category but in the explosiveness area in the length and the arm length that side of it definitely checks the box there but you know it says he can play the run set the edge which is important and I didn't even mention it with boy run defense was the big thing he wanted to improve got a lot better over the course of his career can still grow there but feel like he showed enough where teams are going to feel comfortable about that side of it so there's a chance it says he's still picked, but we don't know the medicals. Uh, definitely was trending in that direction before the bowl game. And 
I mean, it, it's the risk you take, but, you know, guys love to play with their teammates in the bowl game. And Minnesota had everybody playing that was that was draft eligible, which says a lot about how the players feel about, you know, Minnesota's program and the players and their teammates. And that's the choice they make. Yeah, we talk about culture. I mean, what PJ Flex got going on at Minnesota right now, uh, that that's just remarkable considering where this program has been and where it could be going. Uh, this year upcoming, they're running it back as well. They got Tanner Morgan to come back. Uh, he's with Kirk Soraka again, which produced mm-hmm. that uh, magical 2019 season. Mo Ibrahim, Chris Ottman, Bell, all those players are returning. So what kind of team could the Gophers be this fall? I'm excited about the the changes they can make offensively because I don't I don't think you'll see the offensive scheme. It, there'll be different wrinkles from 2019 that Kirk Shiraka maybe picked up on from his time at Penn State and West Virginia, where there's some modernization. He had time to really dig into what's happening across you know college football and the NFL. And he'll fit the scheme to the personnel that he has to kind of maximize. Tanner Morgan is the quick release quarterback. Get the ball out, three-step drop, boom, get the ball out. And then also be able to tie the running game, find that balance between the run and pass where you're able to throw vertically downfield and stretch a little bit. And teams have to choose, do I bring a guy into the box to stop the run or get beat with the, the vertical passing game and they double move and boom. That's what happened in 2019, finding that multidimensional balanced attack. And that's what I think you're going to see with some new wrinkles. So offensively excited about that. Defensively, Joe Rossi, great coach. Lots of talent on that side of the ball. Some players up front left, but uh, they definitely have some younger athletes at that position group that have been uh, developing up. And this could end up being one of the best secondaries that Minnesota's had under P.J. Flex. So maybe a little more blitzing with the front uh, than than just using sim pressure. So uh, lots to be excited about with Gopher football. And for those who do not know, where can they follow your work, Daniel? You can check out my Viking stuff occasionally, more on the gopher side, but I still do Vikings articles time to time, mnvikingscorner.com. And then uh, my subscription content, $5 a month, get you access to all the premium content on gophers football at gophersguru.com. If you're a gopher football fan, it is more than worth it to take a look at Daniel's work. Daniel, thanks for coming on, filling in a pinch and uh, getting over my uh, production difficulties uh, uh, at the beginning of the podcast here. You you did a lot better than most people. I've, I've been on play, uh, shows that have uh, worse production problems than that. So you're you're doing a great job. So I'm glad I could pinch hit tonight, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, enjoy the draft. Will do. Well, that is all the time we have for today, guys. We do this every Monday and Thursday at 6.15 p.m. Every Monday and Thursday. That's Central Time, of course. Adam Patrick will be back in, in, on Let's restart that here. For I six fifteen every cent six fifteen every Monday and Thursday Central Time, and then make sure you like, subscribe, all those cool YouTube things, so you never miss a new episode. Uh, and if you do that, you'll be eligible to win a Justin Jefferson jersey. We got the instructions in the description of the video. Go ahead, check that out, and do whatever you got to do. I have not looked at them personally, so I don't know exactly what you have to do, but I assume it involves subscribing to the video. So uh, for Daniel House, I am Chris Shad. Adam Patrick will be back on Thursday. This has been the Viking Age Podcast. Enjoy. Enjoy.